And thus we have the second week of an intense study. Last week, three enemies of every believer, we talked about the devil. The most popular sermon series you could ever go to in any church is always going to be on the devil, right? Because it just makes you feel good inside. It's like, yeah, let's just talk about the adversary. Let's talk about the guy who wants to kill us, who wants to murder us, the, the individual whose sole existence is to counter God and God's perfect plan, the guy who spends all the time coming up with the greatest of lies. He, just can, he can just balance the perfect amount of truth in a lie to leave us guessing. This week, we're going to talk about us. Yes, I know. If I wanted to be popular, I would never point out the fact that we have problems. I would just talk about the fact that there's a war against us, and there's some adversary out there, and all we have to do is just beat the adversary. It's kind of like in baseball. If you can win every inning, you can win the game. So if you score one run and you give up one or less runs, then you haven't technically lost the inning. By the end of the ball game, as long as you score more runs than your opponent, you win. So ultimately in life, if I can beat the devil every day, or at least the majority of the days, I'll win. The problem is, is we aren't just at war against the devil. We're also at war against ourselves. And the devil isn't here to lock arms with us and help us accomplish the goals that God has innately put inside of us from inception. The devil chose the opposite. He chose to set his own goals. Now, I have never traveled to another country. Technically, I think maybe one of my toes stepped in Canada, but to be honest with you, there was like so much tourist stuff that was there. It was basically New York 2.0. So it wasn't something that I felt like, hey, I got to experience other cultures. The only experience I have with other cultures and with other individuals is that through social media. And while I'd like to say that that is vast and that is extensive, let's just be honest, anybody on social media is not themselves. It is a playground for us in the most inner workings of ourselves to bring out sometimes the worst of our personalities. Because ultimately, when you're dealing with individuals digitally, there's very few consequences. There's this beautiful thing called the block button. And as a, as a traveling Messianic worship leader and speaker, I block a lot of people a lot of times and got no time for that. Some people would call it the, whole, the praise away and kick. It's an old YouTube video that it's a self-defense class for worshipers. Praise away and kick. Well, it's just a block button. See how much easier that is? You just block. The problem is, is that most of the time we block people. Most of the time we block things. Most of the time we don't want to deal with things in our life. And when you don't deal with things in your life, they don't mysteriously go away. They actually get worse. They actually get worse. But last week, for those of you who weren't here, because I see some new faces here today, we talked about how the devil was a created being. You know, a lot of times there's not a lot of emphasis in the fact that, you know, the devil was created by God, by Yahweh Elohim, Adonai, whatever name you like to use. He was created. All created beings have a beginning and an end. 
And so a lot of times we like to focus on the power of the devil without placing it in its proper context, which is below the power of the devil's creator, which is God. And we're not going to get into the theology and the doctrines and all the reason why the devil was created or why the devil went awry. We're not going to get into that this week. But we are going to try to keep everything in context. The devil was a created being. You are a created being. The devil was delegated authority by God, authority that was God's. You are delegated authority by God. Wait a second. When we start comparing some of the more, more crucial elements of how we are created in our role, and then there's some similarities with the devil, you should probably sit up and take a look. Because a lot of times in churches over the years, I don't hear it quite as much anymore. We had a couple of key things. Well, we like to talk about pornography. We like to talk about adultery. We like to talk about murder, and we like to talk about stealing. But wait, last week we saw that the devil was the father of lies. Hmm. Now again, if you're a liar and you seek to destroy all of creation, obviously all the other things come. The, the Gospels actually tell you when some of these things are present, every manner of witchcraft is actually present in your midst when that, those behaviors are at play. But... Has anybody in this room ever been guilty of a lie? Ever? Praise God, we can go home. Trolling, you and I are together. We can, I'm going to send you off with the blessing. We can go home. Trolling and I are the only liars here. <laughs> Praise God. The devil doesn't use murder. The devil doesn't use temptations of adulterous women or men the devil doesn't use some of the things that we consider to be the most basic fleshly issues we have when he's in the wilderness tempting jesus the devil isn't like hey look here's angelina jolie or here's brad pitt or here's whatever the superstars are i know i just dated myself because i don't even think they do movies anymore so sorry but ultimately they don't use he wasn't out there and he was like you see that kingdom there is cleopatra and she could be yours if you throw yourself off the temple he didn't use that type of lust he used three other types of lust to go after the Lord. An accuser placing doubts in your mind. Everybody in this room has had doubts in their mind about their friends, about their spouses, about their jobs, about their church, about acquaintances, about people they've seen on television. We're human beings. And we live in a culture that has been overrun by the adversary to tempt us, not to test us so our spiritual formation would grow closer to God, but to tempt us to pull further away from God. Because ultimately, if the devil can get you to believe you are the God, why would you need another one? Welcome to 2022 in the United States of America. 
20 centuries after Messiah was walking on the earth, we still have the same problem. In fact, it's actually getting worse because for a while, the church seemed to be immune from some of the nonsense that was going on in the culture. But now it seems to be the most popular thing to do is to deconstruct your faith. If you're a messianic believer, if you've been walking this way for any period of time, one of the greatest phrases we've overused is that the church lied to me. As we studied and talked about the devil being a liar last week, let me ask you, did every pastor that you thought who sat on a pulpit actually lie to you? Was it the pastor's intention to lie to you? Let's take the pastor out for a second. Was it your husband's intention to lie to you? Was it your wife's intention to lie to you? Was it your child's intention to lie to you? Most of the time, no. I've met very few people whose intentions are evil. And most of the people whose intentions are evil end up on Dateline. And I'm not watching them. Most people are just trying to go through life. Most people are not trying to deceive us. Yet the adversary, 20 centuries later, has gotten us to a place where we're questioning almost everything. It's confusing. I've been a Sabbath-keeping, Saturday church-believing individual since 2007 and even to this day things that i held as core doctrines and theology i continue to research and go back through fast pray ask the lord seek counsel why not because somebody lied to me but maybe god told me what i needed to hear for that season to bring me to another season Maybe the intention of God at that season wasn't to give me the final theology, the final doctrine. It was to get me to shut up and listen and move. And the movement wasn't necessarily maybe the end goal. Maybe it was just the beginning. Maybe it was just the beginning of tearing down my own pride. Maybe it was just the beginning of tearing down my own ego. Maybe it was just the beginning of tearing down the fact that my intentions and my loyalties were to the wrong places in the wrong time. Maybe it was just the beginning of getting me to understand that even though I thought I had walked in the calling of the Holy Spirit, I was actively seeking to minimize the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And subconsciously, I was seeking to elevate my own flesh. You see, all of us are products of our life. If your parents were divorced, you're a product of that. If you had abusive parents or siblings or relatives, you're a product of that. If you were exposed to things in the public school early on, your flesh and your mind are a product of that. And what we have is one hurt generation raising another hurt generation, raising another hurt generation, raising another hurt generation, raising another hurt generation, raising another hurt generation. 
And every once in a while, the scripture tells us that God steps in and he takes a hurt generation, a broken flesh, and he does something so catastrophic to get them to step back and say, oh my, God, I didn't understand your power. I didn't understand what you could do. We like to call it generational curses. We like to call these things. I can promise you guys, the generational curses that you fight, that you're experiencing, that you're trying to overcome in your life right now, every one of you have them. And it's not just about your flesh. It's about your children's flesh. It's about your grandchildren's flesh. It's about your children's spiritual well-being, emotional, mental well-being. It's about your grandchildren's spiritual, emotional well-being. And today we're going to talk about how the adversary, who we talked about last week, tempts the flesh and what the Bible has to say about what we must do as believers to overcome that temptation. But I want you to keep this in mind in this room, because a lot of times the Western culture teaches us to be selfish. Jesus came for me. And while, yes, that's true, Jesus also came for everyone. And so sometimes we become selfish followers and apprentices of the Messiah. And today I want you to think about you and the generations you impact. Some of you in this room, you don't even have the generations yet. Some of you already have raised your kids. Some of you have grandkids. Some of you might have great-grandchildren. I want you to think not only about your own flesh, but the flesh that you have the ability to directly impact moving forward. What is truth? You know, the age-old question, what is truth? Last week, I railed against all the nonsense about Roe v. Wade and how somehow abortion has been done away with and Christians can now go out to eat after service and celebrate because that's what the media says. Meanwhile, there's multiple states that have exactly the same laws that are still killing babies and we're off getting ourselves a Philly cheesesteak wondering about whether we should do sweet tea or not sweet tea. Yay, we won. That's what the devil wants us to think is that we've won. We will not win until we see Yeshua coming on the clouds with glory. We will not win until we see Yeshua lock the devil up and put him away in the lake of fire. Until then, if we can get to see that day, our job is to continue to be the best apprentices of Jesus on this earth, which means not only is there a mission, but there's also things we cannot engage in. And now popular sermon series. The guy in the red pants is telling us not to do something. There is a problem here. You shouldn't have wore the red pants. It's okay. We can laugh. It's a, it's a serious situation here. I want us to... There's no burden in being set free by God. That is not a burden. The enslavement of your sin is a burden. So what is truth? The reality or which corresponds to reality. In the book, No More Lies, John Mark Comer states, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. <laughs> uh, 
Man, when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, do I got stories for you. All the realities I thought until I realized finally I was wrong. And it takes me a long time to realize that I was wrong. But when you realize you're wrong, it's like, oh, that's what truth is. The reality that I didn't know what I thought I knew. Man, it's a humbling situation. But for everybody in this room, I would hope that at least one basic truth is, is that Yeshua is the Messiah. That he is God in the flesh. He came and he is the only way to provide salvation for you. If there is any other way, if I can somehow do something to obtain my salvation, if I can somehow save myself, then God's word is void. He did not say it. tell the truth. We have a problem. Because if God's word isn't true and his promises aren't true, then why are we here? Our flesh is constantly wrestling with truth. Constantly. Now more than ever. There's a couple people in this room who I believe probably remember the time before television who remember the time before being connected to cell phones. There's people in this room who thought it was an amazing breakthrough to see a black and white television with the rabbit ears and you had to turn the dial. It wasn't whether or not you had Disney Plus and Hulu Plus and ESPN Plus and Netflix and all these other streaming accounts, and then you added stars on top of it and Showtime on top of it and all of the other things that are a constant fight for your attention. Why do all those things exist? Because we want them to exist. Because the truth is, is since the moment in the garden when we believed the perversion of the story of the serpent, our flesh has been wrestling with the prince of this world, the devil, and the prince of the prince of this world, Yahweh Elohim, Adonai, whatever name you want. There's two gods at war with each other and we're in the middle of it and in the middle of that war it's all about us we talked last week the devil the devil is not stupid the devil has already been defeated when Jesus went into the wilderness before he was sent out to preach in the sea of Galilee area in the rest of Israel in the Holy Land, the devil had already been defeated. The devil already knew his days were numbered. And Jesus, by the power, it says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was cast into the wilderness, driven out there, so that he could come face to face with the prince of this world. Even before he walked out of that tomb, the devil knew his days were numbered. The devil knew he could not win the war. The devil knew what was coming. So your game plan changes, right? Now it's to have as many mass casualties as you can, whether that be the deconstruction of facilities or human beings. I don't know when God is planning on coming back. I don't know when the end of the world is planning to come. 
But I know until that day comes, the devil wants to kill you every moment you have breath. Okay, now that we've got that down, let me give you the secret. We're wrestling with whether we cooperate with the devil or we cooperate with God every day. This isn't new. I'm not a prophet. Prophet Chris, the new version, did he speak Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek? Heblish with a little country twang. No, this is, this is ongoing inside the Gospels over and over again. They use the military language of a war. Peter is the only one that seems to be proven that can even use a sword. Sometimes these guys struggle just using their fishing nets. And yet it constantly talks about the fact that we are wrestling with our flesh and at war with the powers of this world. I was born in 1982. I don't remember what it was like in the 60s. I do not remember what it was like in the 50s. All I can go off is the stories. But in the 1940s and the 1950s, my understanding is that the household was structured much different than many households are today. The father would go to work. He would work in a company, hopefully Till he retired, he'd have a pension of some sort. There'd be a retirement of some sort. He would come home every single night. He would set his hat down. He would dress well. And they would sit and they would eat as a family. Afterwards, the children would bathe. He'd read the newspaper. Maybe a little bit of a conversation. And they'd tuck into bed early in the evening and do it all over again and all over again and all over again. Then comes the 60s. John Lennon, the Beatles, my favorite rock group of all time, Woodstock, and the liberation movement. The whole 40s, 50s, 30s, 20s, the whole structure of the family. You see, that was a system that was created in order to minimize the freedoms of individuals. And so in the 60s, there was a liberation movement. There was the freedoms from the sexual standards, from the male-dominated structures, and we were given freedoms to choose. Because in the 1950s, you did not have the freedom to choose who you had sex with. That didn't exist in the 50s. Oh, it didn't exist in the first century when they were writing about it either, when they were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, the, all these people were outside the home and they were trying to have sex with them and they were trying to pull them out. You know, Brent kind of mentioned something about that in a teaching one time. They didn't have that choice back in the first century. In the 60s, there was freedom to choose who you had sex with, what you wanted to have sex with, all those types of things. Divorce, adultery, all those things. They never existed before, but in the 60s, we liberated all of it. We were not going to go with the status quo anymore. This was supposed to set us free from the standards of this world. It was to make marriages happier and women and men happier and children happier and institutions happier. And we were to become a superior society because we no longer were living by outdated moral, ethical, religious nonsense. 
created by a bunch of right-wing conservative white people who love that fake guy named Jesus. And yet, all the studies I could find that since the 1960s, we have steadily declined as human beings in the Western culture in our happiness. Wait a second. I can have sex with anybody I want whenever I want, and there's no such thing as it being taboo anymore. How is that not supposed to make a guy happy? Studies show that it does not make a guy happy. Wait a second. You mean to tell me that that thing that doesn't exist that was made up by a bunch of people called the Bible might actually be onto something? Heaven forbid. What about the fact that we had a society where women were treated as second-class citizens, and so the thought of a woman divorcing her husband was atrocious. She would be scorned in the community. So now we have flipped the tables to where churches have small groups running amok of divorcees, and yet studies show that divorce almost always, not always, but almost always, benefits the man more than the wife. Hmm. Wait a second, you mean that thing in those pages that was made by those people who were cuckoo, that they made it up a long period of time, you know, the thing called the Bible might have been right? Heaven forbid. Science, remember, science is anti-God. That's what, that's what we want to say, is that there's no way you can believe in science and also believe in God. Because the scientists that are out there are 100% opposed to God. We don't know that. We haven't met all scientists. But that's the overarching comments I hear every place I travel around when I talk to most conservative-based Christians is that scientists only become scientists to prove that God doesn't exist. Oh, yet science continues to show that the more sexual partners one has, the less capacity your body has to actually achieve intimacy. Wait a second, did scientists just prove that the thing called the Bible, that the thing that God said, that those things that those people didn't know what they were talking about was true and right? Heaven forbid. Or the irony of the more recent height of the Me Too movement, there was a movie called Fifty Shades of Grey that was one of the highest grossing films. Guys, this isn't just like those people. It's not those people. It's not those people. This is happening with us and us people at other us people churches. The height of the Me Too movement with the sexual exploitation of women in this country, Fifty Shades of Grey was the highest grossing film that glorified the exploitation of women through male-dominated sexual perversions. The irony... This is the devil. Why is the devil tempting us? Why? Because he wants to kill you. So the question then is, how can these statistics be factual unless people are actually taking the temptation and walking in it? The devil didn't make you did it, do it. You did. The devil might have sent you the postcard. 
He might have sent you the text message. He might have sent you the billboard. But the devil did not open the movie. The devil did not pay for the ticket. The devil did not pay for the subscription. The devil did not open up the link on the phone. You did. It is only God who can liberate us. It is only God who can set us free from the enslavement of the flesh that we want to continue to walk in. Talk to an individual who struggled with alcoholism his entire life. And he was telling me, I just keep wrestling with it. I've been, I've not had a drink in a long time, but every day I wrestle with it. I wrestle with it. And I asked him, Do you believe that God wants you to wrestle with it for the rest of your life? Do you believe that somehow God decided that he wants you to be in torment of the potential control of this temptation for the rest of your life? And he said, no, I don't believe that's what God wants for me. I said, I agree with you. I don't believe that's what God wants for you. I I believe God wants you to be delivered I believe the devil wants you to be tempted every day to wrestle with it every single day. I believe God wants you to be delivered. I believe he wants to set you free. How do I know that God wants to set you free, that he wants to deliver you? Because we've got the words and the stories of God in the flesh. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted with three things. Three, physical temptation. You've been fasting. Of course you're hungry. Eat. Emotional temptation. You should question your father's love for you. You should question his promises to you. Jump. See if he is who he says he is. Some of us in here are still traumatized by emotional abuse from family members, by church leaders, by bosses, by siblings. Jesus in the wilderness proves that you can be set free from all of these. And whether that person repents whether that individual even knows they did something wrong, you can be released and delivered, and you can release them. Three, the mental temptation. Guys, type A personalities in the room, we should take the power. Take the power. If you go to work, climb the ladder. Become that person. Climb the ladder. Become the guy. Become the man. Take the power. Bow to the evil. Bow to the system. And I will give you everything. Jesus wasn't having any of it. The irony of all of this is 
I don't think if any of us were to answer the question, do we feel like we are able to even stand in the sandals or in the presence of the king of all creation? Yet the devil had no problem going into the wilderness and going toe-to-toe with Jesus. If the devil had no problem to go into the wilderness and go toe-to-toe with the adversary, one who was a created being who had a much larger role than a lot of us see ourselves having, how much easier is it for the adversary to come after you or me? How much easier is it for the adversary to create a system to stumble for you or for I? Mark chapter 1 tells us that the angels were ministering to Jesus in the wilderness. Guys, your life is a physical and spiritual war. If the angels were ministering to the captain of all captains, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, do you not need to be ministered to by heavenly beings? Were you created to have the capability to war against the temptations of the devil by yourself? Think about that for a second. Do you believe that you have more willpower than Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach? I certainly do not. And yet the angels were ministering to Yeshua in the wilderness. We also need heavenly helpers to overcome the temptations of the devil and the exploitations of our fleshly desires. You were never created to war this battle alone. One of the reasons I believe why God said it is for your benefit that the helper will come. To help you battle and war against the powers and the principalities that want to tempt you and bring you destruction. Somebody in this room right now, I promise you, is already warring in this room right now with whatever it is that the devil is trying to get control over you with. Whatever it is. This is why... I believe with all my heart and have had a complete shift in my own personal walk that we must institute fasting and praying in silence with God. We must put to death the flesh and the desires of the flesh and the desires of the culture and the devil around us and our desires to engage in that culture. We must put it to death and allow the Lord through the power of his Holy Spirit to walk with us. It's almost impossible to abide nowadays. My schedule is full. As soon as this is done, I need to make sure I'm done by 11.55 so I can go to table fellowship. And once table fellowship is done, i got about 35 minutes to do that because then I have a play date with this family. And once that's done, I have pool time with my kids. If I don't get all this stuff done, then I didn't accomplish what it was I should have gotten done today. And by the time the day is done, something else happened. Brent called me and we started having a great conversation. I didn't do three things and now I'm mad and I'm worried and God doesn't love me and You spiral out of control. Yet one of the most important things you could potentially do is to sit and abide in the presence of God. And somehow our culture has made us feel that that is somehow against our well-being. I can tell you this. 
I spent years of my life in ministry believing that anytime my phone rang, anytime that somebody needed something, that it was an obligation to answer the phone and help them with their problem. And I have certain specific times now that I dedicate to my family and certain specific times I dedicate to the Lord. And if you call me, you can be dying and I will not answer the phone. Sorry. I don't want you to die, but I also believe that God is talking to me and I also believe God can heal you. So ultimately, he knows that it's my time with him and I'm with him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross symbolizes the stake of the death of Messiah, where he bore all the sins from the moment the world was created and the first sin existed to the moment that the world ceases all of the sins. So we are to take up our stake, our cross daily of all of the sins that we have and follow after him. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Unpopular opinion time. We have an awful lot of people in our little corner of the world who are very concerned with how they will save their flesh. They believe that they have some sort of list. If I have a deer cart, I have 30 days of food, I have this amount of fire starters, and do not forget the roll of quarters. I can save my flesh. Hold on, wait a second. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Game changer. I just found the cheat code. You're not supposed to save your life. Stop being your own God. Now, I also want to preface this. We live in the state of Oklahoma. At any point in time, a tornado could drop down. At any point in time, we could have an earthquake. Some of the movies I used to watch back in the day tell me that earthquakes can also lead to big, gigantic worms that come out of the ground. You never know what might happen. So if you have a family, it is probably good that you have some water, you have some food. But I can tell you this. Judging by most of the people I have met who could literally live off-grid for 30 days, except for the fact that that they could not actually live off grid for 30 days because they can't even do it for eight days in one of the nicest camps once a year. You cannot save yourself, but it's always good to have some water to protect your family. You were never meant to save yourself. That is your flesh operating with the devil. You won't die. <laughs> God told you you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, you're going to die because you're supposed to die every day. 
And if you died every day, then Jesus would be your salvation, which means the Holy Spirit would operate in you instead of your own spirit. It's happened too long. There's too many people in our sect of the world who are their own gods. How are we any different than the Greeks? How are we any different than the Romans? How are we any different than all of the pagan Hindu, Buddhist, heathens? Whoever saves his own life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will save it. For what does it profit? We all know this one. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits himself? Next week, we'll talk about our culture. That is our culture right there. Let's read it a different way. It's not how it was written by the apostles. Let me read it this way. For if you want to obtain profit as a man, gain the whole world, and don't worry about the rest. That's our current culture. That's our current culture right there. Yet the Bible says that it doesn't profit you to gain the world and to lose yourself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed of when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, there are some scholars who believe that the reason why that statement was made is because ultimately in 70 AD, Messiah came back and destroyed the temple. And so there were some people who were in the midst at that time who were young enough that they would still be alive to see that happen. Personally, for me, I like to think of it that death is a separation from God. And when you die, you are either asleep in the Lord and your next memory will be Messiah there or pure separation from God. I like to believe that as long as we are not ashamed of Jesus and as long as we are preaching the word of God and as long as we are walking by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will never be separ taste separation from God until we see God's kingdom manifest itself on this earth. Biblical scholar Dallas Willard said, ideas are a primary stronghold of evil in the human self and in society. That ideas are spiritual entities that can enslave or liberate our soul. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In order for us to understand the truth and in order for the truth to be able to set us free, we must abide in the word of God. 
by abiding in the word of God, then truly we are walking as apprentices of Jesus. And if we are walking as apprentices of Jesus, then we will understand truth. We will be able to separate the counterfeit and we will be set free. Messiah came as a rabbi and a teacher. He came to teach us about the truth. There was a perversion of the truth at that time. Also remember last week, John chapter 8, these were individuals who considered themselves to be believers in Jesus who believed that their father was Abraham. And he said, your father is the devil. He is a liar. We must be careful with the mental maps that we create, not only for ourselves, but for our children and for the next generation. And while I understand that children don't write tithes or offerings, this church primarily exists because of your children. The most important thing in here is your children. It is the next generation. It is not you. I do hope that you grow closer to God, but guess what? I am only on this pulpit because I want my kids to never have to face the nonsense that I have faced. I never want my kids to ever sit in a church that questions whether or not the spoken word of God is equal with God himself. I never want to sit in a church where we elevate our own fleshly desires to understand the knowledge of the king above the king. Your relationship with me is far more important than your understanding and knowing of what you think I am. One can be perverted, the other is living. This world wants to be liberated. The United States of America wants to be liberated. All the freedoms, all the choices. I want to have the choice to be a good human being while the murder rate soars in Chicago. Nothing we can do about it. It's the gun's fault. No, it's your fault. It's the human's fault. It's the flesh's fault. It's the lusts and the prides of this life's fault. It's the fact that we've made everybody who was created by God to no longer have an importance. Guess what? That's our fault for falling into that. Some churches want you to feel good. I want you to walk in holiness and place Jesus in his right place as the king of all creation. If you're going to place Jesus as the king of creation, that means the law that matters first and foremost is the law spoken of by the king through the manner by which the king gave the law, which means that you have a responsibility to die to your flesh and operate under the way he told you to walk. Paul says, for we were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You were set free to serve one another, not to get on a pulpit, not to be able to have some international ministry. Now, maybe God has given that to you. Maybe he's giving you the opportunity, but I can promise you I did not want to be a pastor. I asked God to not make me be a pastor. In November, I asked God to release me from being a pastor. And he said, ha, you think you've been a pastor? That's funny. When did you start becoming a pastor? You know, when we started that church six years ago? Ha, oh, son, I love you. No, 
I'll release you when you actually learn what it is to be a pastor, when you learn what it is to walk as a shepherd, when you do the due diligence to deny your own flesh and you do life with people in your community, when you actually sow into the lives of people. Six years in, that's a little bit of a rude wake-up call. But guess what? I get to stand up here, but it doesn't mean anything other than I'm going to be challenged just as much, if not more. Why? Because God tells us he's called us to freedom, but the only way we can use freedom is to actually deny the flesh and to serve one another. That's from the pulpit, too. That's from the stage at the most popular conferences you'll go to. Stephen Furtick is called to serve you if he's actually doing what God's told him to do. And I don't know if he is or he isn't. Serve, serve, serve. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do not love your neighbor as yourself, you don't understand the law. So stop talking about it and go back and study it. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. You are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so if you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, you are not walking by the Spirit of God. Is anybody else awake like, oh my goodness, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. If you are in adultery, you are not walking by the spirit of God. If you are engaged in pornography, you are not walking by the spirit of God. If you are thinking of harming anyone, you are not walking by the spirit of the God. If you are wrestling and trying to minimize the power and the authority of God, you are not walking by the Spirit of God. If you are wrestling with gluttony and food addictions, you are not walking by the Spirit of God. It is only when you can control the flesh that the Spirit of God can manifest itself. Because the Spirit of God is not telling you it is okay to overeat. The Spirit of God is not telling you that it is okay for you to be in sexual immorality. The Spirit of God is not telling you that you are God and He is not. Those are all your flesh. That is all the counterfeit culture of this society that the devil wants to expose inside you. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It doesn't say to keep you from walking with the devil. Paul says to keep you from doing the things you want to do. My desire as your pastor is not for you to walk in a holy life style because I've told you that's what you should do or because Ephraim or Daniel or Lauren or anybody else has told you. 
but that the Spirit of God would be manifesting itself so much in your life that you would be kept from doing the things that you wanted to do, and they would be replaced with the things that God had originally instilled in you. Our culture wants to encourage you to gain everything. It's a cyclical pattern. It didn't happen overnight. There's this beautiful invention called a tablet. You can give the tablet to your child. Your child will be occupied forever. You can get all of your sessions done and you can get all of your work done and you can get all your cleaning done and you can make dinner and you can get all these things done and your child will be entertained. And guess what, guys? I'm not a prude. But if Netflix is the greatest influence of your five-year-old's life, what kind of impact do you believe that that's going to have when they're 18 years old and they're in their own apartment? Because I can promise you, if you do not guard the hearts of your children, let alone yourself, by the time they get to be 18, they will already have a porn addiction. They will already have a self-harm addiction. They will already have a self-worth addiction. They won't know how to overcome that because again, they're young. They weren't trained. So one addiction will be masked with another addiction, with another addiction. They'll lose their spouse if they had their spouse. And they will spiral out of control. Based upon our current culture, a large percentage of them will kill themselves. If they don't successfully kill themselves, they will at least attempt. I know, 40-year-old long-haired hippie dude wearing red pants trying to stand up here, be all ultra-conservative. You must die to your flesh. Which means, for some of you in this room, you will have to spend time with your children. You will have to die to your flesh, which means for some of you in this room, you will have to eat out less. You will have to die to your flesh, which means some of you need to start looking at the movies you watch. And no, I'm not talking about Pornhub. I'm talking about the movies you actually go to see in the theater that you have no problem in going seeing. But really the only reason why you're going seeing there is because some dude's got a shirt off or some lady's got a shirt off. Oh, I've seen it before. It's okay. No, for you it's not, and you're lying to yourself. For some of you, this means that you're going to have to shut your phone off, and you're actually going to have to talk to your wife and or your husband. For some of you, this means that you're going to have to spend more time actually loving the people around you. And for some of you, this means that you just won't come back to this church ever again. And I'm, I understand that. See, my flesh wants you to like me. My flesh wants the pews to be filled every Saturday morning and for everybody to tell me how amazing I am. But the Spirit tells me 
that if people don't start standing up and talking about the nonsense that's happening behind closed doors, that people act like don't exist, our entire movement in the second generation of them will be gone. They already are. There's an entire generation who don't believe in Jesus. They believe that they're Jesus, they're God, they can do whatever they want, there are no rules. You know, the, the book of Ecclesiastes learned this early on. A guy by the name of Dave Matthews has a band. Some of you have heard it. I'm going to date myself a little bit too. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, that's a very loose paraphrase of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I believe it is. I think it's verse 1 through 5, somewhere in there. Don't quote me. I don't have it all open. But Ecclesiastes 8, I'm pretty sure. Why would God include eat, drink, and be merry in his scripture if eating food was a sin? Well, of course it's not. But gluttony is. Eating is a necessity and was created by God. Gluttony was created by humans and the temptation. Drink. Fermentation is a natural process. Don't tell the Baptists that they can't have kombucha. But drunkenness is a sin. For some of you, you've grown up in different denominational areas of church, and we've struggled with the fact that we would tell people you should never touch a drop of alcohol, and yet we've never trained a generation of people on what the Bible actually says about taking responsibility for your flesh. Alcohol is bad. Sex is bad. But nobody's talking about gluttony. These are all fleshly issues. These are all things that people wrestle with. You may not wrestle with all of them. Some of you may wrestle with multiple of them. I've wrestled with them. I was 320 pounds my junior year of high school. I still wrestle with them. That's why the Bible tells us we must die daily. Outside of the word of God and outside of dying daily to yourself, we have no power to war against the devil. If we don't die to ourselves, then we are actively engaged with him. We are minimizing the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And as Messianic believers, Saturday church keepers, we're still struggling with the deity of Yeshua. And the deity of Yeshua wasn't even exactly the end of the story. In fact, it was just the beginning of the story, really, if you want to think about it. It was just the rewriting of the whole set of early covenants in order for God to manifest himself in you. What power we haven't even tapped into yet. What power we haven't even understood. We're on the way back. We're on the way back. But we haven't even got there yet. We've attempted to grab authority for our flesh. That's the same sin that the devil did. Delegated authority to him was not good enough. He wanted all authority. Guess what? Isn't that a massive problem nowadays? Isn't there constant, constant news stories?
Last week we talked about the devil, how he's the author of lies, how he was created to test with the goal to get us closer to God and decided that wasn't good enough he wanted to tempt. This week we will, we've talked about the fact that our flesh is weak, that the adversary preys upon the fact that our flesh is weak, that we must die to our flesh on a regular basis in order for the Spirit of God to move inside of us. And next week, we're going to talk about our culture. Commonly, the, the Bible in the New Testament calls that the world. It talks about the world. In this world, in this culture, guys, we're at war. I wasn't alive in the 60s. I have no idea what that was like. I have no idea what it was like to watch Elvis Presley step up on a stage and all of a sudden the moral and ethical ways that families operated went out the window. Parents lost their minds as their children had never seen anything like that in a more secure area. Woodstock where it was basically just a gigantic cesspool of behavior. And I'm not a prude. But I also believe that God's word is true. And I believe that we have swayed not only as churches, but a culture from the ways and the morality and the ethics of God. And until we get back to the morality and the ethics of God and we preach them and we actually practice the walking of deliverance from those temptations that have had us, we won't break the sin cycle in our own life, let alone break the sin cycle in our children's life. And if we can't break the sin cycle in our children's life, then ultimately we're setting our children up for an even more empowered adversary that they will have to face. On top of that, we're in a society that ultimately wants them to die anyway. So it's not like you're going to get a whole lot of help from the outside society because they can't even figure out whether they're male or female right now. So they're definitely not going to help you overcome this. And right now the church was actually equipped and given the tools to actually go help people with mental health. Go help people on the verge of suicide. Go help people with identity problems. Go out and actually help people. And we can't go help ourselves until we realize that you're not going to ever help anybody until you die to yourself and the Holy Spirit moves through you. Your power, your spirit, your might is limited. His is not. Ephraim, if you'll come.